What happens when you leave the stable life of academia and do the stupidest thing you could possibly think of, start a shoe company? Well, we're going to find out on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, typically, because those things are, you know, your foundation. Uh, we break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies that you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or play or do yoga or CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably and efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? I know I did, but that's the important part because if you're not having fun, please do something different until you are. And uh, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host. Uh, really quick, if you don't know what we're doing here, it's simple. We're creating a movement around natural movement. We're helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. And if you want to find out what that's all, oh, and the movement part is about you. So you are moving this natural movement thing forward. If you want to find out how you can help, it's easy. Just like and share and give us a thumbs up and hit the bell icon on YouTube, all those different ways you can interact. Basically, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and also go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find previous episodes and all the different ways you can interact with what we're doing here. So let's get started. I am thrilled to semi-introduce Dr. Casey Kerrigan. I love saying doctor in front of things. I never do that, by the way. I had a chance. We grew up in a medical family, so I don't know why it came out that way. I just talked Anyway, here we are, Casey and Bob, who's sitting behind her. And I say semi-introduction because I want you to tell the story of what you're doing and how you got to what you're doing. And then I will interject by telling you how silly that was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, so where do you want to begin? Way back when I used to run track in cross country in high school, college, and always was fascinated with gait. And went in and then became a doctor, went to Harvard Medical School and specialized in a field called physical medicine and rehabilitation, where we like care about the whole body, not just the feet, but the whole body and learning about gait. It's amazing how little we knew back then. And here, you know, I'd have lectures with, we'd study the heart, the lungs, you know, and, and we knew how those organs were just fine. But people really didn't understand the mechanics of basic walking and running. And so I was just excited to research it, to really dive in and learn about it. And so I started doing research in, I guess, 1991, and then built a couple gate laboratories, first one at Harvard. And then I was recruited down to University of Virginia in 2002 to continue my research and build an even better lab. So we had all this wonderful equipment. I was funded by your friends in Bethesda, the NIH, for many, many years. Literally, literally down on the same street that I grew up on. Yes. And I probably went by your house going to the NIH for meetings <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so I was funded by the NIH to study gait, to get a better understanding, to help with improving people's mobility, also to prevent disease and treat disease, prevent disease. And one of the biggest findings that I discovered back in, I think 98 was my first paper published, it was in the Lancet, that a high heel shoes increase the, I should say, uh, it's the joint torques, but it's really, you can think about it as the loads on the parts of the knee where we get arthritis. Right. And it was huge. It was like, you know, 26%. And that was significant at the time. I was like, well, shoot, you know, that, that this is pretty big because, you know, people do surgeries, you know, on the knee to when someone's got knee arthritis to change that number 
And if you see like a 5% change, you think, wow, we successful surgery. We just, right. we just reduced that torque by 5%. Well, we were saying that the shoes were doing 26%. So anyway, so I was like, wow, high heels. Then I dug into all footwear. I found out that just wide-based heels also, that moderate heels, that any heel. And then kind of, you know, I kept doing this research and then really, you know, boring down on what specific parts of the shoe do this, increase these torques. And the knee torque, when people think about, you know, well, that's just knee arthritis. Well, one, knee arthritis is, is huge. huge. It causes more disability, physical disability than any other singular disease in the elderly. It is huge. It's, and it just doesn't get the attention that, you know, other diseases do. People live with it. Well, people think it's a normal part of aging. It's like bodies yeah. wear out and they're, yeah. you know, so arthritis, yeah. I mean, that's just what you get. Exactly. So, yeah. and then women, women get it, you know, almost twice as much as, as men and I've always believed the reason for that is because of footwear. Women are wearing higher heels generally than men, but there's more. It's not just the heel. There's other facets of the shoe that are increasing these torques. And so it's not just the knee. The knee right. is like, you know, the, the loads that occur in the coronal plane, which is a side to side plane. People think about movement and everything in the going forward plane, that's a sagittal plane. But really, there's all this stuff that's going in the side to side plane. And that's where things happen. When you think about all the injuries that occur during running, it's, yep. it's all in the side to side plane. They all with respect to the torques, the mechanics, not, not, not the motion, not what you can visually see, some, you know, but what you can measure when you combine you know, ground reaction forces with motion analysis, that you can see what the loads are, you know, all the joints. So the knee joint is just like one indicator of that things are abnormal in that plane, but it's abnormal all up and down the plane. So where you get stress fractures, why you get hit pointers, really every single injury you can explain in this coronal plane and with respect to the those torques. So it was like, okay, knee, knee arthritis, but it was much bigger than that. As you were doing this, how much of this was making you sort of surprised versus just like confirming what seemed so screamingly obvious with, you know, the barest amount of thought, but hadn't been proven. Oh, you know, some of it, I mean, the, you know, like the high heel stuff and women's dress shoes, a lot of that is like, yeah, no brainer and thought, yeah, I'm confirming. I mean, this is, you know, this is ridiculous, of course, but it was surprising, I think, because, you know, being a runner, you know, I always, I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm getting the best pair of, you know, Nike shoes and I mm -hmm. think I have the best. And so when finding out that they're not, that they're aspects of, you know, the most expensive running shoe that are increasing these torques was that, I think that was, you know, surprising. That alone is, is so interesting to me because it occurs to me, the only reason it's surprising is that we grew up, I'm 58, how old are you? I'll be 60 this year. Old, please give me a break. When I turned 50, my dad called me to try and tease me about being 50. I said, Are you kidding? I'm entering a new age group in my for racing. I'm going to be the fastest guy, you know, in the 50 to 54 group. It'll be awesome. So, the um, I mean, we grew up in that era when Nikes went from being basically just, you know, flat, really thin, tiny little bit of toe spring in the original waffle trainer, um, but that was really it. And then, you know, we all bought the drank the Kool Aid as they kept telling us that they were doing things to improve performance and reduce injury despite a lack of evidence. Cars and, in the and, 1970s. <laughs> what'd you say, Bob? It's like cars in the 1970s. You know, yeah, yeah. 
crap got added on every year with every new Detroit model. (laughs) Right. And we just, a friend of mine said something really interesting. He went to Mexico and he said, the billboards look like they're from the seventies in America because it's the same kind of like very simplistic messaging that we no longer are, you know, fall prey to. We no longer believe that kind of messaging, but they weren't, the messaging there wasn't as quote sophisticated. And it's a similar thing. It's like, you know, in the seventies, we believed what people told us on television. We believed, you know, and there was no reason not to It all. It all made sort of intuitive sense. Things like, oh, well, you know, running is painful, so we need cushioning. It's like, okay, well, a bed, you know, you want cushioning on a bed, you want cushioning on a good sofa. So it's like they capitalized on some messaging that made, quote, intuitive sense, but wasn't real until they said it long enough that everyone just assumed it was real. Well, it's funny, you know, in 1977, I wrote a very long letter to Nike. You know, they were a little company then. (laughs) And tell them, because I had the LDV 1000s. And I I just went through, I said, I think, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. It's really funny. It's hilarious. Oh my <laughs> God, I love and they, it. it. You know, they call me back. They talk. Wow. About, they were so, it was really, yeah. So that's great. Oh, <laughs> well, so on the trajectory from there to, so you got down to UVA with the Better Lab. And I'm also just in, I'm thinking about what you've seen during this time and the improvements of the equipment that you could use to investigate the things that you were looking into. I mean, my God, there's been just so much change in what's available for research. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we could do the 3D motion analysis where you can see the movement of the joints. You know, a lot of times you, you can't like just video camera, you might right. you might not be able to see what's happening in the coronal plane versus the sagittal plane. So you can really figure out what the motion is. But it, more than the motion, it's just knowing where the joint centers are. Mm. So you can figure out where the joint centers are. And then with the joint centers, you're running over a ground reaction force, a force plate that measures the ground reaction force. And then we had this sophisticated instrumented treadmill that had three different force plates on it. So you can measure the joint locations at the same time that you're measuring the ground reaction force. And interestingly, so many people, they study gait and it's very observational. You know, it's like, oh, you know, this is moving. This is like, oh, you're pronating. Like, but who cares? You need to understand where that ground reaction force is with respect to the joints to really get any kind of meaning out of it. We see this all the time where people either look at still images and and make assessments about how someone's moving or even looking at video at like, you know, 24 frames a second, which doesn't really tell you anything. Or, you know, of course, when people go into a, a running shoe store and they're getting videotaped on a treadmill from the knees down by, you know, and some 23-year-old kid who was trained to identify something that maybe he thinks he can see and then recommend a shoe in relation to that. I mean, I was in um, Bill Sands lab when he was out here in Colorado and he said, I only film at 500 frames a second because there's not enough information otherwise. And the interesting proof of that is my right foot was everting turning out in the last frame, just before it hit the ground in one 500th of a second, my right foot was turning out about 10 degrees. And that pointed to a, a hamstring issue that I had that we would have never found in any other way. And, but people go, oh yeah, I went to the shoe store and they put me on a treadmill. Actually, wait, you're gonna love this. One of my fantasies is to get like a fake TV film crew um, saying we're doing you know a documentary or doing a story about um, getting the right shoe and go to different stores and have the same runner get on the treadmill and see how many different shoes the different stores recommend based on their treadmill analysis. I think it would be hysterical because there's no way they're going to come up with the same diagnosis, let alone the same recommendation. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So there was doing all this research and um, 
you know, finding the specific things in the shoe that can increase these joint torques, but also finding that there's things that could reduce those joint torques. So that mm-hmm. was interesting. And which of course then led to the development of OSH. But I, some of the features that, you know, we showed that increase the joint torques. One of them was just arch support, you know, just like a teeny tiny amount of arch support. There's like, like very minimal Spanko soft cushion arch yeah, support. Off the shelf. Yeah. Off the shelf that increased those parameters. And then I guess the last draw was in 2009, I think. Yeah. We published, finally published a paper that just looked at just your traditional running shoe it didn't matter. I don't, I forget what brand it was. Brooks, maybe. Brooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, well, only it, only because they had donated. I feel bad. You know, they had donated it's all these pairs. But oops. it was. We also had Nike. We had Nike Freeze. Yeah. We had so Nike. So Nike Freeze. Same thing. No different. Yeah. But they were increasing the joint torques by upwards of fifty percent. Now this is during running. You know, so the high heels. Sure. People say, "Oh my gosh, that's more than high heels." I was okay. Well, that was in walking. We increased twenty six percent. But you know, running. So between running barefoot and running with shoes, it was like you know between thirty three and fifty percent. And again, not just the knee joint torque, not just the coronal right. knee joint torque, but the sagittal and the hip torques and ankles. So you know everything. And then, you know, went and, uh, you know, started making a <laughs> Well, so let, let's pause there and I'm gonna, I'll tell this quick story. So seven months after Lane and I started Zero Shoes, when we were just selling a do-it-yourself barefoot running sandal kit, mm-hmm. um, basically, here's how you can make a sandal that looks like what they did 10,000 years ago. And we met some guys who had all started at Reebok 35 years earlier and the footwear industry, as you know, but not everyone does, is very incestuous. People just bounce around from company to company. So they've been all over the place. And they were sitting in our dining room um, and said, you know, we really believe in you guys and we really believe in natural movement and what you're doing. And we would start this business with you, but we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. So talk to me about that leap from academia and research to, you know, the stupid thing of starting a shoe company. Bob, you're leaving on that one? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I've been released. (laughs) You don't want to be involved in that part of the conversation? So, you know, talk to me about that moment of, I mean, I say this only half in jest, you know, that moment of stupidity, or what I like to say is what when Lane and I, we uttered the five dangerous entrepreneurial words, how hard could this be? And, you know, and here we are 11 years later and, you know, and we know the answer. So what was your, how hard could this be moment? Or what, or what was the thing that really inspired Ocean? For people who don't know, it's uh, your company is O-E-S-H, O-S-H Shoes. Um, so talk about that transition. Yeah. So here it was, you know, I was publishing all this stuff and I was like, you know, at the top of the academic world. So what, you know, like I had, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you are, you know, tenured full professor, you know, at a young age and chair and whatever, all and all these awards, whatever. But I wasn't helping anyone, and, and, and especially the, the issue was with women, because mm. women footwear is a lot worse for women than it is for men. And, you know, wanting to help women, women's health, I wasn't doing enough clinically and in my research, it wasn't getting out there. And I was like, in knee arthritis, I should say, my specialty, our clinic, my department, the majority of our patients have knee arthritis. We were tr- that's what I was treating and seeing patients with this debilitating disease and seeing that like, you know, I could, we could prevent it and at least help women who already have it. So I couldn't get shoe companies to listen. I, I mean, ideally I would have just asked a shoe, why don't you guys look at my research and make your shoes differently? 
but that wasn't going to happen. And, you know, it just, I had to learn that. It took a number of years to figure that out, that my research was really threatening. You just nailed it. I mean, it's not, we actually had the CEO, two CEOs of major footwear brands say directly to people that we know, this whole natural movement thing is real. We just can't do it because it would be admitting that everything we've said is a lie. Right, right, right. So, you know, when you hit them with research, there's two things that happen. One is they have that, like you said, they were definitely threatened. And the other is there's a lot of true believers in those companies and in what they're doing with padding and arch support and motion control. And when you give someone data that interferes with their belief, that contradicts what they believe, Mm -hmm. um, much to my shock and amazement and horror, uh, people don't go, oh, they do the exact opposite and they just, you know, latch onto what they believe even more strongly. They will find some tiny little thing like a typo in your paper and say, well, see, she had a typo. So clearly she doesn't know what she's talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened too. I mean, it was unbelievable. People not only ignored my research, tried to discredit, you know, everything I was doing. And that was actually more harming to OSH than anything because, you know, the industry just freaking attacked me. And, you know, and it was, uh, so yeah, not only could I not get a big shoe company to do what I wanted to do, but then when I do go (laughs) build my company, I'm now a witch, basically. I mean, you go on the internet and just Google my name and it was like, oh my God, she's, you know, (laughs) she's, she's, So that was, and that I had no idea was, was coming because I just thought, geez, you know, I'm, I'm going to, and that's what I did. I was a tenure professor, had millions of dollars worth of laboratory equipment and traded it all in for millions of dollars worth of (laughs) factory equipment. (laughs) So what was the, other than the negative response from big shoe companies, what were some of the surprising things that you discovered or what was, what happened differently when you started the company than what you imagined was going to happen when you started the company? Oh my gosh. So I thought it'd be easier. I thought Mm -hmm. that people would adopt the research or shoes quickly. But, you know, I'd say a lot of the problems were on my end at that point. I wanted to develop this material in the sole that's this like super springy. So some of the things that can reduce those torques and even out the gram reaction force, reduce those torques. I wanted like a shoe that's truly compliant and it couldn't be ethylene vinyl acetate. Yeah. So let's pause there to to do the science to English translation for people. So if you're talking about something that's compliant, um, basically think, you know, like small trampoline is the basic idea there. It's going to be, like you said, a little springy. But of course, as soon as you say springy, people are thinking, many people are thinking about what they hear from big shoe companies about how they're using foam and it's got quote, energy return, and it's springy, but what you're doing something very, very different. And the ethylene vinyl acetate, EVA, is the the compound that most companies use for the foam in the midsole of their shoe. And by the way, uh, quick aside, my favorite, back to the point of um, shoe companies telling us stories that were simple that aren't true, my all-time favorite is when Adidas came out with their Boost Foam, which they demonstrated how great it was by taking like a two-pound steel ball and bouncing it off some concrete and it barely bounced, then off, quote, you know, the other company's EVA, which no other company has ever used, and, you know, bounces like three or four times, and then off the Boost Foam, it bounces like 10 times, and they go, isn't this great? And my response is, well, no, if you go to the Exploratorium Museum in San Francisco, which is, you know, hands-on museum, they have a, a display thing you can do where you drop a steel ball through a little plexiglass 
shelf with a hole in the middle and it bounces off a steel plate. And instead of bouncing 10 times off the boost foam, it bounces about 260 times bouncing a steel ball off a steel plate. And, but no one understands the physics of that. So they don't get why that boost foam demonstration is completely meaningless, ignoring the fact that, you know, you are not a two pound steel ball. So, or an any pound steel ball. So anyway, you were doing, trying to develop something that actually reduced these impact forces, wasn't using EVA. And that led you to some very interesting places. So initially I was making these, uh, these carbon fiber springs that were in the shoe. That was great, but not, I could do better, you know? And so finding a material that could have the springiness, but then also allow all the other attributes of the shoe to not reduce these torques. So you've got to have, it's got to be completely flat. So the sole has to be completely flat, heel to toe, but side to side. And I don't know if you know, you know, we cut open shoes all the time. Yeah. We have a water jet side, which we got to do some videos because they're fun. I got to just get a bunch of old, we just cut them in half. And and it's just so surprising, all the junk that you see in it. And there's all these contours that run front to back, but also side to side. So you have the arch support, you've got like the equivalent of medial posting, you've got the contours that, you know, the toe spring, all of this stuff that's just nasty. So it's like a canoe bottom. Yeah. Like a canoe. Well, I just like to say, well, um, yeah, like a canoe. Well, it's like, if you look at a lot of running shoes, especially sprinting spikes, if you cut them open laterally instead of longitudinally, you see it, it's literally, it's, you know, this big curve, this concave yeah. thing with the yeah. idea that that'll help you roll your foot. But what it does oh. just squeezes the bones of your foot together and makes it useless. Yeah. I mean, it's right, unbelievable. Right, right. You know, right. this is one of these things where I'm just always amazed that somebody, actually, I was about to say it and it's not true. I was about to say that I'm amazed by some of these ideas, but what it really is, it's like, there's not a lot of people who can think through the implications of something that they're, some idea that they have. It's like the initial, the initial idea is like, Ooh, this makes sense. We're going to have something that helps you roll, you know, roll across your foot. That sounds like a great idea. And then people run with it because, but no one ever goes, wait, wait, hold on. What, what could that be doing other than just this simple idea? And people get, you know, they sort of get stuck on something that feels right. And this is what our brains are wired to do. If it feels right, we're done thinking it's easy, but you know, going at one layer or two or 10 layers underneath is what most people don't do. In any domain. I, think, I think that's always been one of our uh, truly an advantage we have is obviously it comes from Casey. And what it is, is she can think globally about the human body. Right. And I think that's where all these things get stopped out. It's exactly the example you just relay. And it's one small issue. But the actual, the real problem is the entire concept of wellness, which is individually arrived at it's not one size fits all Mm. and you know as you can kind of get it's like this what's this thing about you know that you'd make an elephant you know with the little parts right all the discrete parts and and that's that's really not what we're doing we're not making an elephant we're trying to make a shoe that's that is healthy and long-term good for you and all these little tiny things example cushioning Mm-hmm. which feels so good when you're in a shoe store. Oh, that, that feels, oh, that's what I need. I've got, you know, X, Y, Z issue, or I have no issue and it'll, it'll just help me run faster. You know, the whole gamut, right. Of, mm-hmm. of your shoe buyer, but they're buying a shoe with cushioning and cushioning is awful for your joints. Awful. And we go back to the EVA and all the other stuff. So to your point, it's, 
that's something that's always really enabled us to be consistent with our messaging from the beginning is we're about you. We're about your total wellness, long-term wellness. I think that's why our customer base is so incredibly loyal because yeah. once they get turned on to it, and, and I know you experienced this at zero, yeah. once they realize it, a lot of small victories for that person has made zero shoes successful, I think. They're cons- yeah. Those consumers are so loyal because they know how they feel now versus how they felt half a dozen years ago. Yeah. Well, the thing that what really sells it, I'm sure you've had this experience too, is not just that experience of getting out of a padded motion control, et cetera, a shoe, but after they get used to something that allows their foot to move naturally, then putting on one of those shoes again. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know. And that's crazy. Yeah. I know. Casey's I know. word for it is a foot coffin. Right. I think I coined that term, but that's okay. Oh, so, did you? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, we've done surveys of, uh, of people who come to our website and ask them questions. And the number of them who end up using language that I you know, coined 12 years ago or something is very high. It's kind of funny. But, but before we move on, I just want to I gotta do this really quickly. So for people who are just listening, you can't see, but um, Casey's husband, Bob, is sitting behind her. And so um, as the man behind the woman, what do you do? <laughs> You know, are we allowed to cuss on the site? Absolutely. Yeah. So I do all the shit, you know, and and I don't know if uh, it's been a great team. And, you know, Casey is obviously the thinker, the designer, the person that puts us, how would you say Casey looks through the card? She looks through the windshield and my job's a little bit more the rear view mirror, you know, making sure that... (laughs) Lena, my wife and co-founder and CFO, her line is, Stephen gets to do the fun stuff about thinking of all the cool things to do and what can go right. And I have to tell him that we don't have the money to do it. (laughs) And and what I say is, my job is to build a car. Her job is to make sure it has wheels and gas. And um, so I I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) fun. I mean, I know you do too. You know, every time I talk to you, you have a smile on. It's... um, it's the drugs. It's totally. I was thinking about. It. I think we have probably had in this is now our eleventh year selling those. We've probably had more arguments about the way you load a dishwasher <laughs> than we have had. Yeah. <laughs> with the we, um, Lena and I have basically the same argument every three years, where we just get you know so overtired. I become just a sort of short-tempered douche and she gets a little micromanagey. And as soon as we identify that that's what's happening, then it takes about 20 minutes till, you know, we get over it. And then I go, what do you think? Um, Same time three years from now, should we just do this again? (laughs) I mean, I know you guys have the same thing. Working together has been the most, literally the most satisfying thing in my life is working with my wife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. It's fun for me. It has since, you know, I can't paint, I can't sing. (laughs) Um, right. It's really businesses to us, you know, it begins with an art form to make this. We love the David Goliath thing. You know, that's, that's always fun to root for the underdog, which we, as you know, lived it as well. It's very, very satisfying to bring health and wellness to people in such a, as Casey said, think about that, you know, your whole Growing up to become a doctor to help people, then you decide, oh, well, of course I'll do research because that's the way we help the people the most. And then getting completely stopped out on that. Yeah. Yet having the guts in Casey's instance, I mean, she's, you know, the first 
female department chair at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, all this crap, you know, which is wonderful, but awesome it's, crap. Not, it's only for Casey, right? Yeah. But her reach and her, you know, if you know her, you know, it's about helping people. Yeah. Letting people have a better life. And to actually now do it, when you look back at all the shoes that we've sold and all these customers and how loyal they are, that's profound. And it really is more than those spectacular academic papers, which she wrote. Yeah. Which, by the way, none of them have ever been refuted. Well, you know, I've made this comment to a number of people that the problem with the research that backs up what those of us in the natural movement world know to be true is that it's not presented in a way that's either A, sexy enough or confrontational enough. And none of us have the PR resources where we can, the way the big shoe companies do, where we can present this to a stack of reporters who basically just print whatever we say because they don't question it. They assume that it's true. I mean, my latest example of this, there's actually an article that I'm quoted in um, about the Nike React Infinity run shoe, which they say reduces injury by 52%. It's like, well, Okay, technically, according to that study that hasn't been published yet, that React Infinity Run did reduce injury by over 50% compared to their best-selling motion-controlled running shoe. But when you look at the numbers, the best-selling shoe, the Zoom structure, in a 12-week study injured uh, over 30% of the runners, and the React Infinity only injured 15%. Now, if you take this into out of context... <laughs> Yeah. So here's where it gets more fun. So this is the other thing that, that we have not done well is present stories in a way that people grasp intuitively more quickly. So what I say is, so that first number, it injured about one in three. And the second number injured about one in seven. This is kind of like me saying, I'm going to buy you dinner at a restaurant every night this week. Which one do you restaurant do you want? The one where you're likely to get food poisoning twice or only once? Absolutely. You know, and this is the best they could do. Now, of course, no one, when they reprinted the Nike's press release about this, no one said, if that shoe is so good, why are you still selling any of the others? Mm -hmm. and, and even more, they said the reason they think that the shoe improved reduced injury rates is they reduced some of the protective features that were in the Zoom structure. And my question is, why didn't you eliminate them and see what that did? Which is, of course, what you and I are basically doing. So, you know, no one questions the holy, you know, fill in the blank because they just assume that whatever they're reporting is well-documented. Well, it's like, dude, every couple of years, whenever there's an Olympics, there is a news story about how athletes are wearing Nike products that they're paid to wear. Precisely. Why is this news? You know, it's... Yeah. So this is the part that sort of amazes me and is the David and Goliath bit is how do we get the kind of attention to show that, you know, we're the one with the slingshot and there's no there there on the other end of that rock. Yeah. And, and you know what it is? It's um, I've always thought of it, you know, maybe because I ran a lot of marathons that this is a marathon race. <laughs> Well, see, that's the difference between you and me. I'm a sprinter. So, <laughs> right. you know, I, I, hear, I hear a rumor that at the end of the track, there's things called turns. Is that what they're called? I don't, I don't know how they work. <laughs> but it's having this, you know, that, that like patience, I guess. And research is the same way, right? You know, yeah. you study something, but you don't, you know, you have to do the study. You've got to publish it before you get your next grant. It's like things take years, right? Yeah. And so I'm kind of used to that, that pace and being able to grow organically and you know that we have the thousands of oshers we call them who wear our shoes that are just thrilled and 
that's sustaining, you know, that, that keeps us going. And, you know, I just gave up long time ago on, you know, the idea that, you know, the, that we'd be an overnight sensation. People are like, Oh my gosh, this is it. You know, and, and I got, yeah. I got it. This is shoes have to be this way and nothing else. So, but it's slow. And I, but I see it every year. It's, you know what, it gains a little bit more traction yep. and it's fun. It's fun to be well, on that, that movement. We're able to do something that the major companies aren't able to do, which is, and Lena says it best. She says, you know, there's enough shoe companies in the world. There's no reason to start another unless what you're doing changes people's lives. And when our customers, yours and ours, talk about how it's changed their lives, they tell people in a way that, you know, no one who buys a pair of Brooks Adrenaline or whatever says, oh my God, you've got to buy these shoes. Um, And so the interesting thing in the evolution of a movement like what we're doing is that there will come, assuming that it continues to move the way it is, there will come a point where we hit critical mass, where there's enough awareness of what we're doing and the value of it where everything will accelerate dramatically. Yeah, It's sort of like, I mean, this is going to be a weird analogy, but I invented a piece of computer software for film and television writers 30 years ago. And I thought, you know, as soon as people experience this, it's all over. We're going to dominate the universe. And it actually took two and a half television seasons. So the first season, the early adopters tried it. The second season, a second group kind of tried it, but they're anxious because in Hollywood, if you slow down a production by, by not being able to print out a page of a script, for example, that could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and you lose your job. So it took like a year and a half, two years for enough people to be able to say, this really changed my life. There's enough people that everyone else suddenly had confidence that they were taking from the early adopters. They, they sort of absorbed their confidence and then it took off. But it's a similar thing here. It's just there I was dealing with a limited number of human beings who were writing and producing film and television. Now we're dealing with everybody on the planet who wears shoes. Yeah. Slightly steeper hill, if you will, or bigger hill. So what else do you want to say about just what you've been doing at OSH that is breaking the mold or doing different things? Um, Do you want to talk about, you mentioned 3D printing before. Do you want to talk about the fun that happened with that? Yeah. So it turns out that the material that, you know, that wait, let me, wait, let me just interrupt. First of all, describe what you mean when you say 3d printing, cause it's not what most people think of. Right, um, right, 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 right. So, you know, one was figuring out this, this magic material for the soul. And then once I figured that out and the, at the time, the only way we could make shoes with it was with injection molding in a very specific way of injection molding, which we were doing here in Charlottesville. And by the way, along, I was doing everything like you, I mean, you wouldn't believe I couldn't just have somebody make this in China, which is, you know, where all shoes are made. I had to figure it out here. And basically with this sort of R&D factory, figure everything out, learn all this stuff. You know, I didn't even know which way you turn a wrench. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and here I'm doing everything. And it's so funny because when you say, you know, Bob, everyone just assumes Bob's the one, you know, doing all the machine stuff, right? Or something. He, he has no idea what goes on in there. No idea. You know, so I'm, you know, in there, I've got all this like equipment that could 480 volts just fry me if I didn't know exactly what I was doing. So we were injection molding this stuff. And then it dawned on me that, oh my gosh, we could 3D print this. And, but not just with like a regular 3D printer. Right. It would have to be this like special 3D printer that didn't exist that could print directly from the material, from raw pellets and produce it and do it very cost effectively and all of this good stuff. And it is, it's the configuration of the, of the soul, which mm-hmm. for us is one piece. It's 
there's no distinguishing feature between a midsole and the outsole. Right. It's, if you would, it's the engine of the shoe. It gives us this unique spring. So it's got like, uh, it's all one, one material, which has basically the insole, the midsole, which is just a bunch of springs, and then the outsole, which cannot be molded, you know, right. it cannot be made with traditional manufacturing. Right. And so you've got this like incredible, so I, in my head, I had this idea, right, from when I was, you know, doing the research, but there was no way I could make it. And then 3D printing is like, oh my gosh. And then so, but I couldn't 3D print it at the time. This was like 2014. So I had to invent and then build 3D printers that could do this. So then I shifted my funding. The National Science Foundation funded development of those 3D printers. And so I was getting these grants to develop that. And that was just, it was pretty cool. Because, you know, now like the technology coming you know, that I could do stuff that I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, you know, I was making these carbon fiber things, you know, so many years ago, and this is like a billion times better. So that was really fun, the 3D printing, and then combining that with really understanding shoe manufacturing, as you know, you understand so many things about how shoes are made, you know, like that side to side contour, which is ridiculous, you know, going back, I believe it's done for aesthetics. It's not, oh, you know, people talk about control, but it's basically, and especially women, women have, you know, wider forefeet, wider toe boxes than men do. We have a very narrow heel, wide forefoot. So, you know, creating that, that flat shape, but that's challenging in some ways for shoe manufacturing. It's easier to create a shoe that has a, so we had to like refigure out a lot of the manufacturing stuff so the 3D printing, if you look at our 3D printed sole, it's pretty neat in that you can really stitch any upper to it. Right. And knitting came along, right? And knitting is just tremendous, you know, that you can make a, a comfortable upper that, you know, go well with, with the sole. So just, and we have an industrial knitting machine in the factory and can uh, program it and do all the code and stuff. And it's just fun to be able to develop in tune with all the sort of developing technologies. In other parts of your life, do you have an equal fondness for um, cool toys? Uh, not really. I don't think so. <laughs> Only no, just, just anything to make shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody, I did a Facebook Live last night and someone asked me, do you ever get tired about talking about shoes? It's like, nope. No, I get a little bored talking about how big shoe companies make crappy shoes. That's getting a little old. Yeah. Um, I wish I didn't have to do that. But in, you know what we're all doing, I mean, the, the basic idea of what we're doing is endlessly fascinating. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, like I don't know. Um, we have a water jet saw that makes, at the time we got it. So this thing is just cuts just with water. Oh, I know. Yeah, people don't can't even imagine that. The first time you see a water jet, basically for, for people who've never seen one, it just shoots water in such a thin stream at such high pressure, it just cuts through anything like butter. And yeah. man, they are fun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have to start cutting up some shoes. We'll, and we'll, we'll send you the videos. Oh, that'd be uh, great. But, but yeah, so we we had this to cut the carbon fiber, and then it's like we have this thing, and so we build all our own three D printers, and the water jet saw is part of that, and um, that we also have a CNC milling machine, so I can operate because who else are you gonna who knows how to maintain a water jet saw, you know? So I have to I do everything. I've been running the thing, I maintain it, you know. I had to do a major pump rebuild. I was the one doing the pump rebuild because. It couldn't get a technician during COVID, but I know every single thing about this like complex piece of machinery. Yeah. But 
I couldn't tell you like my car when it breaks. I have no idea. I don't know what, like, like, why it needs oil. I don't know. Yeah. So anything outside of it has to do with making shoes. And but it's okay. It can be you know the machines that we use to make the machines that make the shoes. That's okay. As long as it's like the end. The end is to make a shoe. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think about. Simultaneously think about the number of things that we've all learned from having to figure it out by because we're doing it differently. Even with us, where our manufacturing is, um, let's say it's a bit more traditional. When we work with a factory, it takes us at least two years to get them to understand how to make our shoes because yeah. it's so different than what they're what they're yeah. used to doing, right. and they just can't wrap their brain around it. Right. Uh, there's right. there's just so many subtle little things that make it work or not work. Mm-hmm. And it, but ninety nine percent of all the Major made footwear is done a, a very specific, exactly the same way. Same way. Yeah. yeah. So it's wonderful to be able to be that one percent and have it right. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. What's yeah. fun is we started out arguing with people. So we um, we were making our first outsoles. Um, we were introduced to an outsole manufacturer in Korea, and they couldn't make them consistently. The weights of the left and the right were different. The larger ones, which should have had more material, somehow weighed less than the smaller ones, which should have had less material. I mean, we couldn't get the quality we needed. And we said, you know, can you get us what we need? And they said, no. And then they told every other outsole manufacturer in Korea not to work with us. And so that was pretty entertaining. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so in the early days, being that fraction of a fraction of 1% was challenging. Now, as we've continued to grow and they see that we're growing significantly every year, they're paying attention to us. But it's still to get people over the hump of doing things the way they've been doing it to now do it our way. Because mm-hmm. most of what uh, happens with mate, with normal shoes is there's so many layers that you can hide your mistakes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And simple yep. like ours, there's everything's visible. You can't right. hide. Exactly. Yep, yep. They're much yeah. more demanding. And it's it's harder to make. It's um yeah. and you know, and you're using more expensive materials and yeah. but it's funny, uh, you know, I think about, you know, when you look at our shoes, you know, so well somebody said, well, you know, they feel like they're getting their money's worth if they get, you know, like all right. this cushioning and art support, you know, like that's why we, we can never sell on Amazon. Well, I think we did for a little bit, but like, you know, the reviews are like, how much art support do you have? <laughs> it's like, right. well, we have zero. So, but yeah, the more junk that's in mm-hmm. them, you know, that gives value, but it, it's very similar. Bob always says it's like whole foods. It's, it's like, you know, you're going to pay more for food that doesn't have those preservatives and <laughs> it's grown yeah. without all this stuff. And so it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It is, it is more expensive. It's more you to uh, make a shoe that doesn't have all this stuff is it's actually harder. Yeah. And, and the point you made about material costs, people don't understand. They go, if it's so lightweight, why does it cost more? It's like, well, first of all, our shoes don't cost more. If the shoes that you're looking at that cost less, it's because they've been making that exact same shoe for 20 years and just they've been able to bring the cost down and because they make so many of them and they own their own factory and you know those yeah. materials are cheap. And I go, you yeah. know, go look at ultralight backpacking gear. That stuff costs three times what regular backpacking gear costs because the ultralight materials are more high-tech and more expensive. The place where I'm so fascinated is in all of the sustainable, quote, sustainable stuff, where a lot of those materials are A, more expensive. There's a lot of greenwashing going on. There's a lot of stuff where the net carbon benefit is negative. In other words, it costs the amount of effort that it takes and energy that it takes to pull water bottles out of the ocean, bring them somewhere, recycle them, turn them into something. You know, it's not 
better for the environment. Yeah. But the story of hey, no, 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 no. water bottles, and, people love and it. So plastic. yeah, and, it's, and then know, it's that's plastic. a whole other story. Yeah, Michael, yeah, we don't go this. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, yeah, taking taking hard plastic and putting it right into our water stream. Not that's good. right. That's right. But I mean, but to your point, it's like, you know, more stuff equals better green, even if it's not green equals better. I mean, all of these, again, it's all the, I mean, speaking as a guy who sells shoes, it, it's anyway, point being that brilliant, but evil marketers versus brilliant, but good marketers are able to convince people of things that are just patently false, yeah. but make them feel good. And when you have billions of dollars to spend to do that, you can build a successful business. I mean, the thing that I'm frankly worried about is there's going to be a certain point where what you and I are doing starts to get close to that critical mass level where the shoe companies who already know what we're doing is legit, but when they're going to feel really threatened, not just philosophically threatened, mm -hmm. I literally can't imagine what they're going to do to try and save themselves and hurt us at the same time. Because no one just go as an individual sport athlete, I realized well into my fifties, I realized that I have a psychological problem that I would argue either came from or is consistent with being an individual sport athlete, which is the idea that the best man or best woman or best thing wins. But I've learned the hard way that that's not the way it works in business, especially when you're about to let go, let loose that rock in the slingshot pointed right at Goliath. Mm -hmm. And, you know, have you given any thought to what might happen if we are uh, successful at what we're trying to accomplish. It will be a better place. And it will happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to take a little more time. But every year we get there, right? I mean, it's a little bit more. And along the way, I'm just thrilled, you know, like as a doctor, right? You do the research, you do it as a doctor. You know, when you see patients, you feel good about just helping, yeah. you know, some people, right? You can't help everybody. Yeah. And so I feel great about our the people that we do help, the people yeah. that do buy our shoes, I, I feel, I just feel so great about there's so much satisfaction. And so I feel like I have the patience to get there. My, like, yeah. You know, and then, me, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I like the fight. Um, <laughs> the personality. I look, I say I'm not competitive. I just want to beat everybody else who's doing things that are not what I want them to do. I, <laughs> I my, my biggest hope is that that we live to see the effect of this. And I think it's possible because, because yeah. things can move faster now than they ever did before, thanks to the magic of the inner tubes. And this is a long-term play. It, I mean, the reality is this is a multi-generational play. And yeah, you and I have, you know, if we live well, we've got two more generations in us. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that we're around to see the effect of it. I don't personally care if anyone knows that I had anything to do with it. That's not my thing. Um, I mean, if the big shoe companies started to suddenly do what you and I are doing, um, I would still view that as a success. And in fact, perhaps an even bigger one than, you know, us becoming the next fill in the blank. So, you know, here's to hoping that we continue to provide, well, we don't have to hope that we're going to continue to provide the benefits we're providing, but that those benefits are profound enough for enough people that things really do hit that critical mass point and accelerate dramatically so that we get to see the effect of that for everyone on the planet, as well as just, you know, the personal satisfaction. I mean, I don't know about you, but did you see the movie, The Big Short? No, no, no. no. It. It, it's basically about the guys who predicted the crash, the real estate market crash in 2008, which Lena and I predicted in 2006, but we didn't know how to capitalize on it. We were involved in real estate in 2006, and suddenly we saw 
the writing on the wall. It's like, this is all going to fall apart. You know, everyone who can breathe is getting, if they can breathe, they're getting a mortgage at crazy rates. You know, this isn't sustainable, but we didn't know what to do about it. And when I saw that movie, it hit me that one of my fantasies for my whole life, I hadn't really thought of it was to be that kind of right. The same kind of right that those guys who said this is going to crash were, but in watching that movie, they were so ahead of the curve that it nearly killed them. I mean, just the stress of it all over the yeah. two years between like 2007 and 2009, it nearly killed them because everyone was telling them they were crazy. It wasn't working the way they thought. And so, you know, I think we're that kind of right. And I just hope that we don't go through that kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was, it was crazy. Like 2009, 10, 11, you that know, was in there. well, that was yeah. when they were basically just directly coming out and saying that what we were doing was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of 2010 is when they started selling their own version of what they called minimalist shoes. So now they had a dog in that fight and they couldn't make that same argument, ignoring that their, their quote, minimalist shoes were worse than anything else that had ever been produced. <laughs> so, um, but they couldn't argue. And then by like 2013, 2014 is when they realized they couldn't sell that story, the minimalist story and their maximalist story at the same time. And they pulled out of the minimalist side. Right, predominantly. Right. So while knowing that it was actually the one thing they did that was useful, I mean, yeah. it's boy, someday, I hope someone really documents what went down in the last 11 years mm -hmm. and beyond, because there's so many stories that we all know that are hiding in the closet somewhere that if people had any idea, my line is it's too bad that shoes don't kill people the way cigarettes did. Cause then there'd be a congressional, uh, right, 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 right. But it's yeah. a slow death. Knee arthritis is not good. You know. I, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But again, people think that's just what happens when you get old. Yeah. You lose yeah. your balance because you're old. You yeah. can't move yeah. as well because you're old. And yeah. speaking yeah. as a as an aging athlete um, who hangs out with older athletes, it's complete nonsense. Yeah, it is, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sure to get a little slower, but you know, whatever. <laughs> so Bob's not getting slower. I'm not <laughs> Yeah, it's because you're again, you're not a sprinter. I was at <laughs> I was at the senior games once and I'm hanging out with, so I just turned 50 or 55, whichever one it is, 50, I guess. And I'm hanging out with all these 60 year old guys and they're saying, you know, when you turn 60, man, you start really slowing down. And a bunch of 80 year old guys were standing there and went, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Just wait. <laughs> and so for sprinting now, here's the fun part. I mean, you definitely, there is a, a significant drop off in speed for sprinters as we cross 60. But what's really fun is there's an age graded table based on how old you are. Well, on how much slower you're going to get essentially. You can do the math in reverse to create an age graded hundred meters. In other words, the older you are, the less you have to run. So at when I did this a couple of years ago, I think I was running 82 meters instead of hundred. Um, my friend who, who's a training partner, who's just turned 70, she was running like, you know, 60 meters. And, but what's so amazing about the age grading is it's so good that if you have good runners, it's a photo finish no matter who's in the race. And so we have eight people from 20 to 80 and it's a photo finish, not to see who won, to see every single place because we're all crossing the line at the same time. It's super, super cool. So, you know, even though you're getting slower uh, with something like that, you can have just as much fun racing against, you know, 20 year old Olympians. It's a blast. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Anything you can think that we left out or anything that you want to debunk about the reality of the footwear world or movement or gait or anything else? I don't know. Let's talk again. Yeah, we could have a whole thing on ethylene vinyl acetate and EVA uh, and how, how awful it is, you know, for, for mechanic, the body. But, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, green, EVA has got to be the worst thing for our planet. Like yeah. anything with vinyl, you know, it doesn't decompose. It right. never will. And uh, it's the vinyl that's evil. So EVA, oh my gosh. 
So if you don't want to just, and of course you've learned it, you know, I've learned how awful shoe manufacturing is, you know, traditional, I should say traditional, how awful traditional shoe manufacturing is. Yeah. And one of the points about that, I mean, it took a while until the shoe companies figured out to make their outsoles, design the outsoles so they wore out at the same time the EVA did. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. um, that was a really, again, evil, brilliant move. Yeah, awful. When we approached a rubber manufacturer about making our outsoles and we said, you know, here's the characteristics that we're looking for. We want it to be long lasting and still be flexible. You know, gave them all the things that we wanted. They said, but that's not how they make outsoles for shoes. We went, yeah, no shit. That's why we want to do it this way. That's why you got to do it. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. Well, so So, tell people who want to find out more about what you're doing and what's happening at OSH, how they can find out more and see what you're doing. Yeah, go to OSH Shoes. You might want to spell that oh. for humans. Yeah. Oh, oh, so it's O-E-S-H. So OSH is um, the word shoe, you know, reinvented upside down, inside out. Yep. So it's OSH shoes. And, you know, we it's educational. You can dig through like all these blog posts that are, I think, still out on the internet that were very, you know, controversial. <laughs> this is the first one. Yeah, the first one. So I mean, it went out. Yeah. Company. Oh my gosh. And that the, the ones, the ones that you know, people just would love to attack me on. You can still hunt yeah. them down, it, find them. Oh, there's even a, a, a subcategory in oshshoes.com. That's O E S H S H O E S dot com. But go to our blogs and um, and Best of Casey is a spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's and it's all all the stuff that I was been talking about. I, I wrote that very, very early. And it's very yeah. real. And I don't really see a need to like keep rehashing it. But yeah. I do the, the last thing I did was in 2019, I have like six videos where I'm just talking and yeah. talking about arch support and you know the cradle, the cradle and all that kind of stuff. So it's all in there if you want to, yeah, like four minute videos. Yes. In fact, I've seen, I haven't seen all of them now that I think about it, because I only remember like two or three off the top of my head, but they were, of course, well, look, I'm going to say they're great because A, they're great. And B, of course, you know, I agree with you. So how would I say anything otherwise? So, and again, one of the things that I have a fantasy about is that we can, Tony Post and I were on a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine. The other two people on the panel, one was from Brooks and one was from um, Adidas. And I have this fantasy that we can host more of those events at various conferences with more people on our side of the equation uh, Mm -hmm. because it's super, super fun because they have no evidence for anything they've ever said uh, other than misrepresenting people like Ben O'Nig and saying things like, well, Benno says you have a preferred movement pattern that's almost impossible to change. And I go, well, Benno actually says that's only if you're wearing basically the same shoe, which all your shoes are, but that if you switch to something like what you and I are doing, your gait definitely changes. So you've misrepresented what he said. And they go, uh, 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 you know, but there's literally no evidence behind it other than misrepresenting studies like when Nike says this shoe makes you 4% faster and the research just showed that it made some people's VO2 max 4% better, but had no relationship to performance. Mm-hmm. Again, just blind blind. But anyway, so right. please do go check out um, stuff at oshoes.com and see what Casey and Bob are up to. I'm going to include you in that, Bob. You know, why not? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to have a, another chat and get deeper into yeah. some of the weeds. Yeah. There's, there's a couple different neat ways to think about kind of maybe today we went a little bit backwards just to explain who we are to your audience. But going forward, I'm more excited this year than I've ever been about what tomorrow looks like, what 2021 looks like and so on. So uh, we have some pretty fun ideas regarding that. I'm sure you do too. So it'd be fun to share with your audience. Absolutely. Happy to dive into that. So we'll call this part one and let's look out in the not too distant future and do part two.
Awesome. Stephen, awesome. thank you. Well, so, A, uh, thank you. B, don't go anywhere yet while I say goodbye to everyone else. For everyone listening, thanks for being part of the Movement Movement podcast. Again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com so you can help uh, what Casey and I and all the other people who are supporting natural movement are doing, creating this movement about natural movement. If you have any questions or recommendations, people you think should be on the show or complaints, whatever you want to share, you can also drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, go out, have fun and live life feet first.